Good morning, Spirit of Grace. Excited to see your faces, even if I can't tell who some of you are. I was telling our neighbors back here, I'll go home and say, Tim, so-and-so wasn't there. I wonder if they're okay. And he's like, yes, they were. They were right. These masks, I tell you. Someday. Amen. So good to see all of you here. We want to welcome those who will be joining us later. As always, we pray that you will feel exactly what we are feeling. Um, it really only takes saying, Jesus, I need you. And he will come running. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? We don't have a God that's far away and who's not concerned with us and what we're going through. He is at the mention of his name. He is there. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand. We're excited to worship with you today. We had a great time in rehearsal. We felt the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I'm just thankful for the body of Christ. I would not want to be walking through this without knowing I was going to see your faces and worship with you. Amen. Praise God. Let's sing about his beautiful name. You were the word of the beginning, one with God the Lord most high, hidden glory in creation, now
she'll write it down, as I know not all of us like to go online and do the credit card thing. So that will be available to you today. We just are having to do things a little differently. We don't usually charge for this concert, but we have to do it differently so we know who we're needing to accommodate. You will have your own special seating for you and your family. So if you are intending to bring family, please make that um, purchase so we can make sure everybody has a seat. It's going to be a great time in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. And uh, the cost is only $5. And I found out yesterday that barely gets you a McFlurry at McDonald's. <laughs> But if you absolutely cannot afford the $5 and would like to come to one of those concerts, just come and talk to me. Right. We'll make it happen. Okay. Praise God. We want everybody to be a part of that. It's always a great night. And I believe especially this year, the spirit of Christmas needs to overwhelm us. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you'll turn to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want to welcome all of our guests today. Thank you for being with us and uh, being a part of the kingdom of God. You can be just about anywhere else today, but you've chosen to be here, and we're going to do our best to make it all worth it. It's already been worth it in my mind, but uh, the presence of the Lord is, is incredible. And I do want to just say a great big thank you to all of you here at Spirit of Grace Church for your faithfulness to keeping everybody safe. Uh, Staying home and being quarantined when you need to be quarantined. And uh, I do also want to thank our governor for uh, not putting any more restrictions on church services so that we're able to be here together safely and in measure. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in the midst of everything that's happening around us. And we have preached that for the last couple of weeks. But I felt going a little bit of a different direction. And some of you may even remember some of this message. I've kind of blended a couple of messages together today, and uh, I say some of you, some of you I'm not worried about because your mind and your memory doesn't remember my messages, <laughs> so I can preach the same thing every week for some of you, I'm just kidding, <clears throat> but Luke chapter 8, starting at verse number 41, it says, then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come home with him, his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. King James Version says, with an issue of blood. And she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well, go in peace. That word well there in the King James is whole. He's made you whole, go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, 
Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, Stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up, and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. I want to speak this message with the help of the Lord. It's time for a touch, or when a touch puts God in his tracks. When a touch stops God in his tracks. I believe that we are living in a day and age when more than ever before we need a touch of the master. And not only do we need a touch of the master, but we need to touch the master. We need to overcome whatever obstacles or boundaries that may seem to be in our way to reach out and to touch him. There have been studies after studies uh, about infants and, and children uh, as to who grew better. I don't know how these people do this because I would never put children through this, but there have been studies. And uh, some of the babies were raised in homes where the mother and the father, uh, all they did was make sure they had food and clothes, but it was very robotic and very sterile and very... Uh, un, not necessarily unloving, but uncaring. And then there were some babies that were raised that the food was supplied, clothes, etc. But there was also a lot of holding and a lot of touching and a lot of embracing and, and showing of care. And it has been noted in this result of these studies that there is a direct correlation between the touch or the stimulus that causes proper growth in babies or in children or in humans. And so I believe that from the very beginning, God knew that people could not make it on their own. In fact, when he created Adam, uh, just think about it. It was God and Adam. And for Adam, God wasn't enough. God said, it's not good that he's alone. I need to create somebody else. And so out of Adam, he created Eve and said, now it's good. You see, there was something, I, I read a study last night online that, um, they, scientists have now come to the conclusion that touch is the first sense that you and I have ever developed. Uh, and I want you to think about that. Uh, because what happens, it's amazing to me, but what happens, this especially happens with ladies, but what happens when a woman is pregnant? Almost every lady wants to touch her belly. And, and, and here's what I believe happens. I believe that the baby that's in the womb is feeling all of those touches. And, and you think about it, uh, uh, women that are, are pregnant, it's, it's not just an armrest that they put their hand on their belly, but they walk around, they're touching their child, they're embracing their child, they're holding, there is a touch that's happening. And scientists have come to the realization that touch is probably our very first sense 
and how we are touched or how we touch people communicates love and empathy and care and, and, and uh, mercy and grace. And so when Jesus uh, does some things in the scripture, in this case, it was the lady touching the garment or him touching the daughter, grabbing her by the hand, or when he puts the, 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 the mud balls in the blind man's eyes. And, and, but there's always a touch. There's always a touch. And I believe that what's happening in the world today is our adversary is using this pandemic to drive a wedge between the touch. Yeah. It's not an accident. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I believe in social distancing right now. I don't mind the masks right now. I know they get frustrated, but if they're helping, let us help. Let's get over this thing. Let's get a control of this thing. Let's get done with it so that we can try to go on to the next stage of life. But one thing that is happening on a spiritual level, as we shut down and as we separate and as we isolate, what's happening is all the bad things are starting to rise. Depression is rising. Despair is rising. Suicide is rising. All the things that are caused because of isolation. What do we really need? What we really need right now is to touch someone. I'm not just talking about human to human, but I'm talking, we need to do whatever we can to reach out and touch the hem of his garment so that his spirit can begin to flow through us. You see, I don't necessarily have to touch you physically to not touch you spiritually, but when something begins to flow in me by the Holy Ghost and God begins to let it pour out of me, it can reach to those who are around me and they can sense something different. See, I believe that wholeheartedly because it's happened to us. I've told this story, and I'll, I'll just tell it again. And uh, because it, 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 it's one of those times where it puts my wife in a really good light. <laughs> this was several years ago. We were living in a city called Grandview, Missouri. And after church... We were stopping to get something. I can't remember if we were getting some Chinese food. We were getting something. And uh, by the way, Jesus gives me license to eat here in this passage. In fact, Jesus told them, when she got up from the bed, make sure she eats. <clears throat> Anyhow, that's an aside. That was for free. <clears throat> but we're stopping after church. And uh, because I'm such a gentleman, I made her go in and get the food. <laughs> And uh, you laugh, but it was a God thing. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Uh, anyhow, she went in to get the food, and she's standing there ready to order. And a, a gentleman uh, comes over to her and begins to talk to her and says, what is different? There's an aura about you. There's something different about you. And the only thing that Trish could say, well, we just came from the presence of the Lord. Yeah. There was a touch in the spirit that took place in that moment. Now, I don't know whatever happened to that gentleman, but for that moment and in that time, he experienced something that was outside of himself because God was working through her. And, and, and all of you probably have some kind of a testimony of some nature that where, where you saw something or you experienced something or you felt something that you didn't know that you would ever feel or had ever felt before. What was that? That was a touch from the master. And I believe that we are forevermore in a situation, in an atmosphere, where we need to have a touch from God. And my prayer is not only that he would touch us, but that we would touch him. You see, the age of technology has, that we live in has uh, 
demonstrated the full impact or meaning of touch. We've got people that don't know how to interact with human beings anymore unless they're talking to a machine on the other side of the line. They can't interact and carry on a conversation, let alone uh, be able to go face to face with people because all they're doing is they're on a computer or they're, they're on the technology that's available to us. Don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful for the technology, but there's something about still hearing a human voice when I call someone. I'm tired of hearing the 15 prompts that I have to hit to, to get to talk to a human. And then none of those prompts say, here's how you talk to a human. You see, if you read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews in the New Testament is a phenomenal book, but it's a book of comparison. It compares the Old Testament to the New Testament. It, it's kind of like the old advertisements between Coke and Pepsi. Which one was better? Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Somebody said Coke. Can't even go on now. Come on. I grew up on Mountain Dew, so that's Pepsi. But the book of Hebrews is a comparison, Old Testament, New Testament. And, and the result that is found in the book of Hebrews is that God always leads you to better things. That, that in fact, the concept of the book of Hebrews is better things. There, there, there's a better way. One way is good, one way is, is okay, but there is a better way. So when he takes something from you, it's not because you're being penalized, it's because he's getting ready to take you into an area of life that is greater or better. Don't get discouraged when something seems to be removed from your life because it can't be filled with that which is better until that which is removed is taken care of. And so there are times in our lives where we feel that God has just put us on an island, on a desert. We talked about this a little bit last Sunday. And we wonder, God, why are you taking this away and that away? And I don't feel it this way anymore. Don't get discouraged. Get ready. Because when that begins to take place, a better thing is on the way. And so Hebrews tells us this. So in the Old Testament, there was no touch. There was no touch. God didn't really touch people, and people really didn't touch God. It was all robotic. It was all sterile, if you will. In fact, the, there's one gentleman that try, Uzziah tried to reach out and touch the, ten, or the, the Ark of the Covenant, and it killed him instantly. There, there was, you didn't go into the presence of God boldly in the Old Testament. You had to go through a whole bunch of protocol by having the priest go to the altar of uh of sacrifice, then the labor of water, then go into the Holy of Holies, and then once a year they went into the presence of God. And if the presence of God saw that it was worthy, then he would come down and the, the glory of the Lord would settle on the tabernacle one time a year. Or, or with the, when they were on the journey from the, uh, Egypt to the promised land, there was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, but you didn't touch it. And it didn't touch. There was no touch. 
But in the New Testament, God becomes man, and all of a sudden, the Bible says we now have a high priest which has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He knows how we feel. He knows how we think. And not only that, he went around his ministry touching people. That's why it's better. It's better to have a touch of God than just have the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they had the presence, but they didn't have the touch. In the New Touch, the presence became the touch. You see, religion was in the Old Testament. They were very religious. And in fact, that was the reason why they missed Christ being the Messiah. They missed the story of Christmas because they were so religious. Well, in the New Testament, you went from religious to relationship. There is something better about being religious than there are being uh, relational than there is being religious. Let, let me just tell you, when I first got to Dover in August of 1988, it was good to know who she was because the very first service I was there, she sang. And you all know what happens when she sings. And I was in love at that point in time. I really didn't know who she was yet. I didn't even know that she was necessarily a student until the next morning that we got to school and started school and she was an upperclassman. But I'll tell you what, if I would have gone the last 30 some odd years with just a distant understanding of who she was and not have gone into a relation, listen, it's much better today than it was then. She likes me now. <laughs> and there are too many people still today trying to serve God through religious activity. And they're missing out on that which is better, a relationship with him. A personal dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ is available to all today and too many people are trying to go through the motions of religious practice. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with religious practice. They're good. It, it, the, the Old Testament is a good testament. But what Jesus is trying to tell somebody today is I'm better than your religious activities. While your religious activities are good, I am better and I can be a friend and we can still have both blended together if you want. You see, in the Old Testament, God was all about deity. Way off in the distance. He told Moses, he says, when Moses asked to see his glory, he said, you're not, you don't even know what you're asking about, Moses. If I reveal to you my glory, you will consume in a moment of time. And, and so he said, what I'll do is I'll cut out a cleft in the rock. You hide in there. And after I pass by, you sneak your head around the corner and you just see the afterglow of my glory. But in the New Testament, because of Calvary, because of Jesus, the Bible says, let's go boldly into the throne of grace. You see, religion has a tendency to be untouchable, made of dogmas and not people, rulers and not relationship, policies and not principles, 
constraints and not care, work and not worship. But Jesus stepped onto the scene and into the house to declare, to, to, today to declare that he is touchable. He knows what you're feeling, not just what you're thinking. He knows what you are experiencing, and he's wanting to wrap his arms around you. He loves you so much that he's not trying to hold you at a distance. He's trying to pull you closer and closer and closer so he can embrace you in the arms of glory. So that brings us to today's passage. I find it interesting Jesus is on his way, and a man named Jairus comes and falls at his feet and says, My daughter is on the doorstep of death, about 12 years old. And, uh, and, and then something seems to happen to interrupt Jesus. It interrupts Jesus. Stops him from going further in his journey. And some people couldn't even say that this woman interrupted a miracle of healing Jairus' daughter. At the time, you see, we're looking at this story in hindsight. But at the time, Jairus probably, when he got word that his daughter died, probably thought, well, Jesus, if we wouldn't have been held up with this woman, maybe you would have gotten to my daughter in time. But now she's dead. I know that's probably how I would have thought you, you, you see, there's a couple of things that I want to identify here about this woman that stopped Jesus in his tracks. Stopped the king of kings in his tracks. When all the people were around, she stopped him. I want you to get that. I keep saying that, but I want somebody to get that. If you want Jesus to stop where you're at, you're going to have to get to him and make him to stop by reaching out and touching him. Stop waiting for him to stop to you and start reaching out to him because when you begin to reach out to him, he has to stop in his place. First of all, I've never found out what the name of this woman was. Nobody knows her name. And she's never mentioned. In fact, in biblical days and in Hebrew culture of that day and in Greek culture, she was insignificant culturally. And she had an issue of blood. For the past 12 years, and from that point forward to even this day, preachers throughout history have preached about what? The woman with the issue of blood. So for 12 years, she dealt with this issue to the point where she was now being identified by her issue. And all the way even to 2020, we have identified this woman that has no name, a woman we have identified with her issue. You see, the problem has become so big that it consumed her very identity. Her name has been forgotten in the annals of history, but her issue is still there. She is still known or identified by her issue. Why does she identify by her issue? Because for 12 years, she, she spent every dollar she could on getting healed, went to every doctor's appointment she could, dealt, did everything that she could have, family and friends, I'm sure, that helped her 
try to get over this issue, but she could never get over it. And what that tells me is over the 12 years, she talked about it, she thought about it, she slept with it, she dealt with it day in and day out, went to all the different appointments until her issue became who she was, and in her mind, she identified herself by the issue that she had. You see, part of her issue made her unclean. Talk about social distancing. Talk about isolation and quarantine. She wasn't allowed to be around other people. She wasn't allowed to be around her family. I don't know if she had a husband or kids, but she wasn't allowed to be around them because she was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And anything she came into contact with, they would become unclean. Does it sound familiar today? It doesn't matter what you're dealing with in 2020 or in this day. The issue had become so big that it identified who she was. And she was no longer the woman who she was. She had now become simply an issue. Sometimes, though, we don't really believe God effectively until we don't have any other options. But faith is born when human ability fails. And then faith erupts and starts at the point of our human limitation. And so this woman got desperate. She got so desperate that she didn't care who she touched and made unclean. It says she pressed through the crowd in the, in, in the book of Matthew and Mark. It said that the people even kind of pushed her aside, said, stop, you're interrupting, you're, you're causing a, a, a scene. Stop causing a scene. Can I just tell you, if you are a worshiper, just worship. And if you are interrupted by the scene that is being made, you don't know where they came from or what they've been through. Let them worship. You see, she's pushing in. Listen, here's the problem for us today is we are Minnesota nice. We are passive aggressive people by nature. But you cannot always get to Jesus by being passive. Sometimes something needs to rise up on the inside of you and say, I don't care what tries to hinder me. I don't want care what obstacle. I'm going to crawl over my history. I'm going to crawl over my past. I'm going to crawl over my issue. I'm going to crawl over those that are trying to stop me. I'm going to climb over all the barriers and the obstacles and the limitations because I've got to get to Jesus and I've got to touch his hand over his garment. She said it over and over and over. You see, I don't think that this was a, we read it and it's a 15 second story. But I don't believe that she decided I'm gonna reach out and touch his garment and then she did it. I believe that she had to fight through some legs and hands that were trying to stop her. And I have a feeling that under her breath, she just kept saying, if I could just but touch, if I could just touch, if I could just but touch his garment, if I could just reach out and if I'm going to fight through it, I'm going to battle through it, I'm going to pray through it, I'm going to worship through it. If I have to crawl on my hands and knees to Jesus, that's how I'm going to get to Jesus. No matter what hinders me, I'm going to get to him because I've got to touch him. And then, you see, sometimes we have to do the same thing. 
All of us have a history. All of us have a past. But in order to get to your destiny, you'll have to climb over your history. In order to step into your healing, you're going to have to step out of and over and through the things that have caused you to need a healing. Listen, she had an issue that was her identification. Sometimes you have to step over your identity to get to Jesus. There's some people that, that you only are known by the mess that you've made, by the, the havoc that you created, by the, the, the list of whatever is behind your name. That's what you have been identified with. Listen, God's getting ready to give somebody a new identity. Just push your way through the crowd and get to the hem of his garment and say, Jesus, if I could just touch you, if I could just touch you. Listen, she crawled, she screamed, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops in his tracks. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? Now, I don't believe that he didn't know who touched him. But I believe he was getting ready to make a point. Who touched me? The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that which spoke everything into existence and was getting ready to go to Calvary to make a way for everybody, stopped in his tracks because a little old lady who had an issue touched him. And he stopped. And the crowd that was pressing in had to stop. And his brilliant disciple, Peter, who sticks his feet in his mouth more than anybody I know. <laughs> says, Master, there's all kinds of people pressing in and touching you. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I felt virtue go out of me. Listen. You got to hear this. Virtue was released because the woman touched his garment. Could Jesus have released his virtue any other way? I'm sure he could. He's all powerful. He knows what he's doing. But because this woman touched his garment, it triggered something in Jesus that released his virtue into her, and he felt it. Listen, I believe that God is over, overwhelming us. He's in our presence and he's saying, I just want to be touched by somebody. As much as you and I want to touch, he wants us to touch him. In fact, the question that he asks, who touched me, is really an indictment against everybody that was there that day. He had a woman with an issue that fought through the crowd. And Simon Peter opens his mouth and says, everybody's pressing in against you. And Jesus takes that opportunity really to cast indictment upon the crowd. You see, the crowd had become content with his presence. They had become content with the show. They had become content with the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus was doing. They were then become content with the in-depth teaching of who he was. But this woman with an issue didn't care about what he said. She didn't care about where he was going. She didn't care about the thus shalt thou and the thou shalt not. She didn't care about what the people were around him saying. She wanted more than just the presence of God. She needed God in that moment. And she pushed and she pushed. 
Don't ever settle for the presence of God without touching God. Listen, we come into service, in and service out on Sundays, and we sense the presence of God sweep across this place, and we get out from outside the presence, and then we wonder where God is. Listen, if you get so comfortable in the presence that you fail to reach the person, you're missing out on the greatest aspect of who God is. He doesn't want to just give you the presence. He wants to give you himself. says your faith hath made you well go in peace he hath made you whole that lets me know something that lets me know that Jesus just didn't heal the issue he radically changed the entire person listen when you get to touch Jesus and his virtue is released and his anointing is released it doesn't just take care of your issue it makes you whole Hey, the lepers came back. The ten lepers all, all got healed and they went away and one came back. And Jesus changes his words from saying you're healed, go show yourself to the, the priest, to saying your faith has made you whole. Where are the rest? Well, they're, they're gone. They're, they're getting checked out. They're, they're wanting their issue handled. But the one that came back and not before Jesus was more interested in Jesus than the issue. And so Jesus says you're made whole. Listen, can I just tell you in my mind what that tells me is the other nine that went and showed themselves to the priest were declared to be clean, but the leprosy was still there or the results of the leprosy. Leprosy is a flesh-eating bacteria type of disease and it, and it takes away part of the, 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 your skin and all that kind of stuff. So those nine people, yes, they stopped having being unclean. They stopped having leprosy, but I believe that they still had the, the results of leprosy. But when that one that came back touched Jesus and Jesus said, you've been made whole. I can just see hands growing back, feet growing back, and whatever else was, was taken by that disease. You see, that's how Jesus is. If you'll touch him. But here's what I want you to notice as we come to a close. It is. While he was still speaking to this woman. The messenger shows up. And says. Your daughter has already died. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. I never in all of my life caught this until a couple of months ago or years ago. And that is this. Both stories here that are wrapped up together are stories that are 12 years old. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years and Jairus' daughter, who was about 12 years. I, I don't totally know the significance of the concept of 12. I know people tend to believe that biblically it means authority. But here's what I feel in the spirit today. Is that when that woman who was much older, much more mature, but had dealt with her issue for 12 years, 
reached out and touched Jesus. It released virtue from Jesus. And it turned around and it allowed Jesus to step into a young lady's life who had not even reached 12 years yet or right at 12 years and resurrect her. You see, he released healing for the issue, resurrection for the death. He raised up one generation through healing and he resurrected another generation. Can I just tell you there's something that I believe goes into this and I haven't weeded it all out and God hasn't totally revealed it, but can I just share what kind of the direction the Lord has led me in this passage? When you and I who are mature believers would get to touching Jesus, we won't have to worry as much about the next generation. Those of you that have teenagers and young kids, those of you that have nieces and nephews and you're worried about what's going to happen to them down the road, listen, if we would just, as older people, as older Christians, would spend more time breaking through the barriers to touch Jesus and let him heal us, let him overcome our issues, let him bless us, could it be that we won't have to worry as much about the next generation of 12-year-olds, of those that have dealt with the issues Listen, I can't tell you that the 12-year-olds today aren't dealing with the issues that I've dealt with. There was something that always irritated me when I was a teenager. And that was this. When teachers would get up and preachers would get up, and I'd be sitting there, and they would say something like this. Well, I dealt with everything that you dealt with, and I turned out okay. <laughs> It bugged me for two reasons. Number one, I didn't believe them. <laughs> because the only picture I had of them was the preacher. I didn't know what he went through as a kid. I didn't know what he went through as a teenager. All I know is he'd been preaching the gospel for 40 years. He was Pastor Saban. He was a walking Bible. He, he, I mean, he could break the Bible down 15 different ways. In Delaware, I had a pastor that could preach from Genesis to Revelation every service. And sometimes he did. <laughs> I didn't know what their best, so I didn't believe them. And then I became a youth pastor. And I caught myself in a conversation. Now, granted, I was, when I say I was a youth pastor, I was 18 when I was a youth pastor. I had just turned 18. In fact, my I, we're watching on Facebook some of my young people, quote unquote. They turned 50 this year, as I turned 51. And, and, and so I, I wasn't real old when it came to being a youth pastor. My wife would say I was older than what my age was, but that's a different story. And, and, but I, I, I caught myself saying, well, I went through everything you went through. And I turned out okay. And so I had to bite my tongue, I had to find a place of repentance. Because can I tell you, while we had everything that the kids are dealing with in schools and in, in, in this generation, all of us as adults dealt with all of that, but we did not deal with it at the pace that they're dealing with it. I look back at my high school years and I know that there were kids addicted to drugs. I know that drugs were prevalent. I know people that committed suicide, but at the rate at which it's happening today, uh, it doesn't compare to when I was in high school. 
the pressure that's on young people today? What am I trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say is some of us as adults, we better get to be like the woman with the issue of blood and force our way into him and through the crowds and over the barriers and over everything that would hinder us to get to Jesus so that when we get to Jesus, virtue can go out of us and we can turn around and allow him to touch the next generation. I don't know the correlation of the 12 years. All I know is Luke is a doctor. And when he wrote this story and he puts it in there, he put both ages and both years in it at 12. I don't know what the ramifications of all that is. All I know is this. If the woman dealt with the issue 12 years and the daughter was 12 years old when she died, Jesus took care of both of them. I believe because the woman was willing to push through and touch him. You see, if it was another day, I'd, I'd have a different thought. It was two days later, I'd have a different thought. But it was while he was speaking to her, the messenger came with the message that she died. I don't think this was written by accident. I don't think anything that God does is by accident. So there is a correlation. So what do, what, what am I, what, what am I trying to get across today? Here's what I'm trying to get across. I don't know where you're at, what you've been dealing with. Uh, this pandemic has put us all in, in, some of us are all grouchy because we're so tired of it. Even the politicians that are making the rules are tired of it. Everybody's tired of it. And the reason why we're tired of it is because it is pulling us apart. We are not in touch with one another. It's an air hug is one thing, but a real hug is a different thing. A shoulder bump is one thing, but a handshake is something different. There's something that happens when the body touches one another and we get into close proximity with one another. The spirit of God moves. So in the time that we are having to be distant because of this this sickness, this disease, this pandemic, in that time, it behooves us as Christians to do everything we can to bypass the physical touch and reach to the spiritual touch and go into Jesus and say, I need to touch you so that you and I can be touching others in the spirit. Amen. Here's what I believe in. I just... I invite you to stand. I'll give you hope. <laughs> I cannot tell you that I understand how everything has fallen into place. I can tell you this that I get confused by the reports and the numbers. I don't know who to believe and not to believe. So we can only do what we know is right. It's the reason why we ask people to wear masks in the house. It's the reason why I've confined myself to the platform. You know what I normally preach, I'd be all over. I can't tell you it's as comfortable I can't tell you this, the questions about getting together for Thanksgiving and all of the questions that are out there. I don't have the answers to all of those. I am as confused as the next person with all of it. But here's what I do know. All 
things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. I shared this in one of the funerals that we just did recently. An old song that has become my motto. I've got it written in my study Bible right on the front page so that I never forget it. It's an old song. I think Dottie Rambo wrote it. But it just says this. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see his hand, when you can't trace his plan, trust his heart. Could it be that God is using this opportunity of us having to humanly distance from one another so that we could get closer to him? Listen, if you have relied on fellow believers, if you have relied on the body of Christ, I believe in the body of Christ. I believe that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But could it be that we become so reliant on one another to get through our days and our weeks that God is saying in the midst of this pandemic, why don't you come to me instead? Why don't you reach out to me instead? Why don't you come push through all of the stuff that's entering you and let me have a relationship with you that you didn't have before this pandemic? We are in need of a touch. And dare I say, I believe that God is standing before this assembly today and those that will watch it online later saying, I need a touch too. I need a touch too. I believe that God is craving his people's attention. He's craving fellowship. In fact, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we have put human faces on that which was lost. But Jesus has always known where every human being is. The thing that was lost was the communion that he had with humanity in the garden. And he's trying to get it back. As they begin to sing, would you just raise your hands all across this congregation? Close your eyes and just begin to talk to him for a moment. Maybe you've never really prayed before. Just talk to him like you talk to your neighbor or talk to your spouse or your neighbor. Jesus right now from the front to the back and from side to side. I am asking you, Jesus, for a touch. We have pushed through the crowds today, God. If I might just touch the hem of his garment.
Thomas did. We give Thomas a rat, hard rap by calling him Doubting Thomas. But he said it this way, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Then Jesus showed up. Want to know what Jesus Jesus didn't blast him. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, why did you doubt? Here's what Jesus said, peace be with you. Put your finger in my hand and look at them. Put your hand on my wound. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. This week, somebody needs to take that moment and say, Jesus, I believe, help by my unbelief, I just want to touch you. And he's not going to berate you. He's not going to blast you out of the water. He's not going to rebuke you. He's going to say, okay, here I am, touch me. And let me feel your presence so you can feel my touch. In Jesus' name. We're getting ready to sing the next part of this song. I believe God wants to raise up a powerful army of young men in this day. At the age they are right now. Do you believe that? You can be just as powerful in God at nine years old on your knees. Yeah, feel like they have 